Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. We are on a roll with these podcasts. We have just been banging out fire interview after fire interview. We had a little bit of a hiatus a couple weeks ago, but I'm glad we're back on track. Took a break during blockchain week just to get right back into uh, into exactly what we actually came here to do it took us about 50 episodes to realize that uh half of you know pov crypto is just me and christian arguing and so we should just double down on that uh and the the feedback that we've gotten from our two fight night episodes has been uh, immensely supportive and popular and also like negative at the same time because both of us are are getting feedback from our respective audiences saying like oh yeah i really like the fight night episodes but god damn it our is the other co-host just so frustrating uh, which which means we're doing something right. Yeah, I love it. This is exactly why we do it. I'm trying to be the first take of crypto. So, you know, no one else is doing it. Let's burst the bubble, baby. But meanwhile, we also bring you guys content from various people around the world of crypto. And so that is one of these episodes today. Uh, we brought on Alex Sung from Set Protocol. I met Alex during Blockchain Week, uh, Tuesday, I believe, at a meetup which had uh, a bunch of other Ethereum stakeholders. Uh, you know, K- uh, DYDX was there, Kyber was there, my Ether wallet. Uh, so a bunch of OG and new age Ethereum DeFi products. Uh, and Alex gave this really sweet presentation of the set rebalancing tokens, which automatically adjust what's inside of a set token uh, to, to adjust to some parameter, right? And uh, for those that don't know, set bundles up a bunch of tokens and puts them inside of one set token or just a few and then you can also code logic into that and so some really cool things happen out of that and uh there was this uh slide that he presented that was just this network of various protocols smart contracts all interoperating with each other and i was like that's sick as fuck i want alex on my podcast so we can talk about how all these different protocols are talking to each other uh and and how they all kind of build off of one another and so I went up to him and it's like, Alex, come on my podcast. And here we are. Yeah. And honestly, like as much of a DeFi skeptic as I am, I definitely see the kind of viral positive feedback loop that some of this infrastructure can start creating. So very interested to keep on watching. Uh, My main skepticism is just about like, you know, the infrastructure is there, but you know, nobody's using it. So we'll see if that, if that is going to continue, but um, in general, this was a really fantastic interview. Alex is super interesting and smart, and he actually lives in San Francisco, so uh, we're probably going to hang out sometime. It's funny how David uh, <laughs> brings on interviews with folks in San Francisco, and then uh, me and them end up hanging out since uh, he's all the way in Seattle. But I'll be down there for the uh, 2019 Bitcoin conference. So if any of you guys, any of you other Ethereans are going to the Bitcoin conference, let me know so I can have a friend while I'm there. Yeah, let's get a posse of just like 10, 10 guys with David wearing ETH shirts in solidarity. Yeah, we'll find a corner. <laughs> Everyone come to Bitcoin 2019, even if you're an ETH head. But without further ado, Alex Sung. Alex Sung of Set Protocol, welcome to POV Crypto. Thanks for having me. So Alex, will you give us a little background with what you do at Set Protocol? Yeah, so I'm the co-founder and CTO at Set Protocol. We're building a protocol for decentralized asset management. 
Um, our team pioneered the rebalancing set token standard, which from a very high view is just a ERC-20 token that is collateralized by other ERC-20 tokens. And we can do some pretty cool things with our rebalancing mechanism. Um, we recently launched tokensets.com with some rebalancing sets that showcase our protocol and how the rebalancing mechanism works. And we're continuing to put R&D into researching how that we can apply that standard to asset management. Yeah, so SET protocol is all about uh, bundling tokens and also not just bundling to them together, but making them run on logic. So that's all pretty sweet. The other really cool thing I really like about SET protocol is if you go to setprotocol.com, they have a, a documentation link, which is extremely robust. And so they've made uh, accessing all of their hard, hard work uh, available to anyone who wants to come in and check out the website. And so uh, me personally, I believe that uh, set protocol is going to be pretty uh, crucial for creating stuff on Ethereum. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to be specific because that's why it's so powerful uh, is because we can just say that these set protocol is going to make things out of other things. It's a really important piece of the financial uh, puzzle that's being built on Ethereum. And so the, the reason why I wanted to bring Alex specifically on to, to POV crypto is from a presentation that he gave during blockchain week in New York at a uh, at a meetup with um kyber was there dydx was there uh set protocol was there um fabrics was there which was new to me and i believe i'm missing one alex if you know it my ether wallet was also there so yeah really good meetup and alex gave this pretty sweet presentation and there was this one particular slide that uh stood out to me and it was of a, of a network of smart contracts and uh, Alex, why don't you actually take this from here? Wait, let's let's actually take a step back and give them a little bit more context. Why don't you give us the the high level view of Set Protocol? Yeah, so uh, I think one thing I want to touch on that you said is that we're a protocol for bundling, and while that's technically true, like we've kind of shifted away from that. And I think one of the things that we're going to address in this protocol is how we're going to eventually come back to that. But um, if you remember from that presentation, we were talking about how in 2017, there was an explosion of ICO tokens and people really just wanted to maximize their exposure. And so we thought we could kind of help open those floodgates by creating a very simple bundle, which is in effect another ERC-20 or a token that is collateralized by other ICO tokens and would allow you to just gain exposure to all of those projects by buying this one set token and so what we've realized over time is that a lot of these projects are going to take a lot longer to kind of materialize um, a lot of the protocols are being worked on by smart people but un unfortunately there's just constraints both on the, the the development side and on the regulatory side and even from like a a market and liquidity side so a lot of those projects are kind of slow to materialize and so we kind of started to see this shift from people not necessarily wanting to accumulate as many tokens as possible, but really consolidate back to just their Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, and so what we started to see was a lot of protocols that came up in the, the, the DeFi space that effectively allowed you to hold, still hold on to your Ethereum, but leverage it in, in, in different ways, right? That's, that's where the, the DYDXs come in, the, the compounds come in, where you're either able to take a 
uh, create a, a derivative from that Ethereum position or earn interest on it. And so we kind of thought, okay, how do we adapt this kind of bundling protocol that we had into something that allows users to capture value in a similar way? And so um, we came up with something that you mentioned called a strategy token. And so it is effectively made up of a volatile asset, which in this case we launched with Ethereum and wrapped Bitcoin. It's a mixture of a volatile asset and a stable asset. So when the set was first created, it was uh, composed of 50% of wrapped ETH and 50% of DAI. And based on different technical indicators, the only one we have right now is price, but based on prices, we're able to rebalance the volatile asset into the DAI and rebalance the DAI into the volatile asset depending on how, how, how the price volatility um, is at the time. And so going back to your original question, very long-winded, um, there was, a, there was a, a image that I showed at the presentation that showcased um, what basically a buy transaction of one of these strategy tokens looks like. Um, you see from, this is a tool that's called, I think, blocksy.info. I wasn't even aware that such a tool existed. I think it's amazing that people are working on graphical representations of transactions, but um, somebody that we had given the beta to just plugged in the transaction from the buy request um, on tokensets.com and it spun this, this graph that basically shows our contracts. Um, there's a big cluster of our contracts on, on, on the bottom left and it kind of bounces between all of our different contracts. Um, and we can get into that later, but there's a reason why we have so many contracts. And um, the, the one that we expected on the right was the cluster of Kyber contracts because we tap into Kyber's liquidity to collateralize the rebalancing sets when you first buy them. Um, and so you can imagine when you, when you say you want to buy the strategy token, you just give us ETH, we take that ETH, we go to Kyber, we get the collateral, and then we wrap it into this rebalancing strategy token. And so what I hadn't actually anticipated was that uh, Kyber actually made a call out to another protocol, which is Uniswap. So we inadvertently were able to leverage Uniswap's DAI reserves just by hooking into Kyber, and we didn't know that that was actually a thing yet. So I was just kind of amazed when I saw this kind of web that we were actually involving three protocols instead of just two. And one of the messages I had at that event was that I hope that in the future, uh, somebody kind of leverages our protocol to bundle whatever they want together and they can use our mechanism for collateralization. So they'd effectively be tapping into Kyber through us. And then by then, Kyber will have integrated with different protocols outside of Uniswap. And you just get this web that keeps growing bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, the, the mesh web of interconnecting decentralized finance protocols is like the, 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 the thesis of what I think Ethereum is growing to become. Uh, as this mesh grows stronger and stronger, it, it creates the this financial fabric. And because you know blockchains are global, this financial fabric stretches equally across the whole entire world. And so the the fact that you didn't see it coming that your set protocol token was going to interact with a whole entire other protocol, and it's and it and it did, and it also did its job while doing so and its job was done better because of the integration with uniswap that 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 shows me that this is going to turn into a positive feedback loop 
yeah, I mean, just looking at, at Kyber's contracts and calling their interfaces, you wouldn't know which reserve it came from. You just get a quote and you decide whether or not you want to take that, take that trade. And so, yeah, I would have never even known. Yeah, that, that that's just too cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the the other half of this is that Set Protocol is still one of these extremely um, uh, manipulatable protocols, where Set can can be a protocol for other protocols. And so, even though Set has uh, things like Uniswap and Kyber that it's built on top of there's still plenty of room to build some things on top of set or in, in fact, many things. Um, and so I, I, I'm sure since you, you have a, a, a roommate that is also your coworker and you guys work a lot out of your, out of your guys' uh, 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 pad there, what are, the, one of the, what are the crazier things that you guys think about that could theoretically become a, a product on set? Like what, what are the crazier bundles that you guys have, have pondered? You know, we actually have this conversation all the time. Um, it, it, we're not exactly sure what the right mixture is, but you can imagine with all of the different protocols that are out there, what ways you can kind of leverage that, ETH, continue to leverage that ETH position. Like right now, um, for most of 2017 and 2018, it was mostly about like about speculation. You could go long. Um, and then sell when you didn't want to hold it anymore. But now we can kind of um, curtail that risk by maybe putting in like a, a DYDX short token into along with you know some other position that you had. You can you can for people who are extreme Bitcoin maximalists like like Christian, you can have wrapped Bitcoin and short ETH in in one set. That's something that we floated all the time. Um, see if we can get people chatting with each other about, you know, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Um, uh, but I think one of the more exciting ones that we recently um, were pleased to hear about was Compound. And so their, their version two of their protocol allows them to basically create a, a interest-bearing token um, that can then be put into sets. So as we try to come up with more strategies based on other technical indicators available to us, we can kind of hedge that position against earning interest while it's participating in that strategy, basically. So one of uh, the one of my favorite articles that came out of 2019 is uh, Dan Eltzer's Superfluid Collateral article. Did you ever read that one? I did not. Yeah, so it's a uh, it was it's a uh, the TLDR is that uh, you we can create a lot of collateral assets that are also that can also be used as collateral uh and so like take for example you uh create a a so you when you submit liquidity to uniswap you submit ether and die in the trading pair or, or die in mkr in the trading pair you get a token back right and so mm-hmm. say you amalgamate all of these uniswap tokens inside of a set protocol token and so mm-hmm. you have the the uniswap token for you know eth to die eth to maker maker to die die to you know omise go or or rep or anything and you just homogenize these right like Mm -hmm. and so you you kind of take one part of each trading pair and you Mm -hmm. could even go so far and to measure this based on liquidity uh Mm -hmm. and so like you weight your extra liquidity on the uh, eth to die pair because that one's going to be extra big and then you Mm -hmm. homogenize all of those things into a set protocol token Mm -hmm. and then you just have plain old exposure to to uniswap 
not mm -hmm. any one particular trading pair on Uniswap, even though you would be weighted ETH to die, but mm -hmm. you are creating an, a security type token that increases in value in proportion to how you think the Uniswap protocol uh, increases mm -hmm. in value. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden we have uh, Uniswap shares basically mm -hmm. because you are owning that one share of Uniswap and then you can take that token and you can take that share of this decentralized company and you can put that into MakerDAO. And so the MakerDAO risk teams can measure the risk of that token and create parameters accordingly based on <laughs> the, the, uh, the risk that you could measure inside of Uniswap. And all of a sudden we have really good collateral for MakerDAO to go and buy anything with that and so it's all of a sudden this crazy network of collateral which both sounds really interesting and really scary because like how do you create a house of cards it's like using the same collateral over and over and over again um so i was wondering if you have if you had thought about this concept of super super fluid collateral and also risk uh with with these systems a bit but not really i mean when i when i think of 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 ideas like the one that that you just came out with um I think the, the, the biggest constraint there is actually liquidity and, and the, the reason why we kind of um, condensed the, the, the assets that we wanted to launch from this 10 in one token to just this, this new token with, with two assets. I think a lot of the things that, that people dream about um, could exist in a, in a market where there's significantly more liquidity, but I think right now the it's it's hard to to explain to people you know what MKR is right. Bringing new people into the space is is is, is challenging, and so there is isn't just enough. There just isn't enough liquidity for some of these tokens to support some of those models. I think in the future that's definitely something we look forward to, but for now, especially in the wake of of the the ICO projects kind of failing to materialize, everyone's just consolidated back to Ethereum. So those are those things that, like when we first re released the, the rebalancing set token standard, we were like, okay, so now we can do this, you know, 10 in one token based on market cap, would you still be interested? And it rebalances every month, you know, back to the, whatever the, 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 the market cap is. They were like, mm, not really, because I just don't even know what tokens three through 10 are. So I think until, until a lot of those protocols develop more utility, um, I think it'll be hard to get enough liquidity to support some of these ideas. I mean, going back to when I was talking about even putting like DYDX tokens into a set, right? In order to be balanced, we need to have a steady flow of liquidity of those short tokens. And it'd be even hard to guarantee that without risk of, of losing users collateral. So Alex, I'd love to get the get your take on like the current state of liquidity on you know this network of DeFi projects well i i think that that's precisely it like when you when you look at some of um like the the largest projects i think they kind of are centered around the same tokens over and over again like in there's a reason why dydx hasn't maybe gone for a short token with other assets um same thing with us just in our market research there just wasn't enough interest in, in in these kinds of tokens so you see a lot of the protocols still revolving around um, ethereum Dai, and those are the only ones i think that are perceived to have a lot of utility right now i mean Dai is 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 the the utility derives from 
it being pegged to or as closely pegged as possible to a dollar. And I think for Ethereum, it, it's it's the the perceived notion that it is a a gas token for other protocols. But outside of that, a lot of the other tokens don't have a lot of utility and therefore just have low liquidity. Uh, I mean, that makes sense to me because between DAI and Ether, we have... DAI basically is Ether. So when like DAI is liquid, Ether is more liquid and, and vice versa. Um, and like our, our tokens, like the, the REP token you know augur is interesting but it's not doing too much right now right so everyone uh-huh. is either buying and holding it until it is doing something and all of a sudden we'll probably see some liquidity there but uh you know and, until the day where uh-huh. significant number right. of, of outside assets I, th- I think the ico boom would be it was a really good you know beta test of token uh-huh. liquidity on ethereum uh and now that that's over we know that we could probably do some cool things but we actually need you know real valuable tokens to come on before we have a, an actual mm-hmm. network of liquidity between all these you know hundreds of different tokens that everyone has to pay attention to not only that though i think you touched on something that's obviously waiting for for more utility but at the same time it's the intersection of a lot of different um, verticals including user experience including regulatory those are all things that are being worked on in the space mm-hmm. right now and i don't think it's going to succeed without without the other basically but you have some great teams working on, you know, projects that I think are advancing um, user experience. There's, you know, some some regulatory, um, some some regulatory. How do you say it? Like uh, yeah, friction. Uh, not friction, but I think we're we're getting more and more rulings down the line. Like I think what, what was the most recent mm. oh, one? Oh, clarity. Yeah, what was the clarity? Sorry, yeah. Um, there was one recently where I think they said bulletin boards are you know, no longer need to be regulated, and I think that was a huge win for for a lot of the protocols in the space. Wait, can you go into that a little bit more? What does that mean? Um, I think uh, I don't know if if I'm quoting this verbatim yet. I think there was this tweet storm from someone who's like uh, actively engaged. Some in, lawyer. Yeah, some lawyer. <laughs> and there were, I think one of the things in that thread was talking about bulletin boards. So um, protocols that allow you to post an order, like like Ether Delta or like or any of the, the Zero X protocols, allowing users to post orders and allowing other people to take orders from that bulletin. Um, those I think passed the regulatory hurdle. Cause I think there was there was at least was some was it was kind of dubious after the whole ether delta uh that thing so they sub- they subpoenaed him and he had to plead guilty and pay a fine something like that i don't know that's right i think i think a lot of the the the, the worry at least um in in the DeFi space was like if you deployed a protocol that allowed because i mean any any ERC twenty token can be deemed a security. I mean, especially if it's part of an ICO. So, if you are the ones who deployed this contract, could you be held liable? Well, I think that was a question that a lot of a lot of developers mm-hmm. um, had in the space. Mm-hmm. Alex, so something that I'm very skeptical about, like, okay, right. I I will be the first Bitcoiner mm-hmm. to admit that a lot of the stuff getting built on DeFi is very interesting and even David's meme of like money Legos, that is a very compelling way to kind of think on how this stuff is going to stack up. 
But kind of going back to your point about how the only things in DeFi that are even remotely liquid are the quote-unquote monies. It's the native token Ether and then uh, DAI, which is a stablecoin, dollar-backed stablecoin. So theoretically, mm-hmm. it should be you know, kind of bootstrapping off of... No, no, not dollar-backed, dollar-pegged. dollar-denominated uh, stablecoin. Very important. <laughs> you, you get what I'm trying to say. But so what my, my, like, I guess what I'm concerned about is, like, what's the end game for these protocols? Um, I'm not seeing there being a lot of other assets that can be delivered on the blockchain in a trustless way. Like, all of these asset-backed tokens, like, they can't be trustless. Like, if they're tethered to the real world, they cannot be trustless. So, like, is this infrastructure supposed to be used by centralized businesses that are trusted third parties for these, you know, asset-backed securities? Um, Or, you know, like, what's the end game for this? Like, where is this going to go? Is there a benefit for Fidelity and these kind of organizations using these financial rails? Um, Or is it better for them just to use their proprietary internal stuff? Like, I'm just kind of curious, like, where is this actually going to go? Yeah, there's a there's a couple of things to unpack there, and I think um, it's it's definitely hard to kind of see the the end game right now, especially because we're waiting for a lot of the protocols to accrue more utility. Uh, I mean, right now Ethereum is is largely being used to either store or or transmit value. I always say that um, what DeFi winning looks like in the end is when you use a a service. Um, let's just say you know, something that's analogous to Bank of America, and you have the same experience, but those are running on decentralized rails. And so you don't have to rely on Bank of America to, for instance, meet collateralization requirements because you know based on the the based on it being on decentralized rails that your collateral is always in your control. Um, and when you start to think of it that way, if we can reach that parity, then we get all the added benefits of being able to access our money no matter what country we're in. I mean, part of the reason why I, I got into this at first, um, you know, I was just reading white papers and I, I, in 2017, I, I took this trip to Shanghai and I realized what a pain it was to take money out of from my checkings account when I was in, in Asia. I mean, I mean, China has some of, some of the strictest you know, financial policies um, around. And so you can imagine that if we have this global banking system, then I wouldn't have to worry about how to take my money out, whether or not it was in in any kind of investment vehicle. If I need it at the time, I can access it as soon as I touch down in China. So I think a lot of it is, is slowly replacing a lot of the traditional rails. And once we get there, then we can start to see some of the, the, the benefits of, have, of being permissionless and having that access um, whenever you actually need your, your funds. Does permissionless matter if the assets aren't permissionless or if they're trusted? Like I'm assuming my assumption is that no utility tokens will exist. It's just going to be money that is capable through crypto, you know, through blockchain. So Ether, DAI, those are monies. Anything else that's like a pseudo equity can't be trusted or it, it's not trustless. Um, or if it's an asset back thing, it's not trustless. Like, does it matter that you have trustless rails if you have to trust a custodian or trust some other um, entity? 
Well, yeah, I think it. I think that that's one aspect of it, right? And I think that's something that David might be able to touch onto more, um, since there there's a lot of excitement around security tokens. I, I think the the problem it solves there is a, is a different one. Like, yes, there is a like just like you would have with a deed, right? You have a title company that kind of issues you that deed and um, says that that's worth what it is. But in the case of those assets that you're talking about, um, there's actually this whole problem of, of settlement that can actually be really easily solved by smart contracts, right? I mean, you based on the, the identity of the user and, and the terms of this, this transfer of this asset, it's actually, it should be very simple to, to, to confirm whether or not I can transfer you this security, for instance, and a lot of that can be imbued into smart contracts in ways that is just very slow and cumbersome right now. I, I totally see the vision of digital securities, both permissionless and permissioned securities on Ethereum. Um, I, I know Pomp is, is a big shill of this, of this concept where he thinks that at some point in time, the SEC will actually demand that or or uh, you know, f say that this is the standard to have blockchain-based digital security just for accounting purposes. Um, but Christian, to your your, I think the point that you brought up was, was totally right. Whereas, like the first utility of all of these DeFi applications are all surrounding assets that have this monetary premium, right? And so, Dai doesn't have a monetary premium because it's already money technically because it's the U.S. dollar, but it does get its benefit through a liquidity premium because. Dies relatively liquid comparison to most other assets on Ethereum, and then also Ether by definition is the most liquid asset on Ethereum. And then we can also see that that's also an example as to why wrapped Bitcoin doesn't have much liquidity on Ethereum, even though Bitcoin is the most liquid crypto asset. Wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum is pretty illiquid, and that's because it's actually just BitGo's token, right? It's BitGo's, you know, um, I, you know you know representative token and so if we could do that more permissionly that might that might be interesting like a wrapped bitcoin surrounded through cosmos if that could be really really easy going between the two that might provide the liquidity and then we would have ether bitcoin and die all have these monetary premiums and and therefore much more uh liquid for for set protocol right because if set protocol wants their their adjusting tokens with bitcoin and it wants to take off they're going to need that that bitcoin's liquidity um and actually kind of once takes me back to something you said a while ago where I was asking about like this crazy Uniswap token inside of MakerDAO. And Alex, you said that the problem is liquidity. Like we're not going to see too much liquidity in that token. Uh, and so does that mean that you guys are kind of uh, marketing your guys' products to people who aren't necessarily as bought into crypto as like me, Christian, or you? And saying like, okay, you can buy this set protocol token which you know will allow you to escape to US dollars in when the price goes up so you don't have to be like fully exposed to ether or cryptocurrency or volatile cryptocurrencies right so like is your is what you guys are marketing are you guys mar who are you marketing to and is it is part of what you're marketing something like some stepping stone for people to get into where you allow them to not be fully exposed to crypto but still be exposed a little bit yeah, yeah. So there's there's a couple of themes here. Um, one is when we first redesigned token sets, um, who we were kind of marketing to, or who we were marketing to, was kind of the, the the same group that most of DeFi is marketing to right now, and that's people that want to hold onto their Ethereum, like they 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 treat Ethereum as a lottery ticket anyways. And so they don't want to, to leave that position, but they want to find ways to leverage it. 
So a lot of the messaging that you see in DeFi projects is like, hey, do you have Ethereum lying around? If so, you know, earn some interest on it or leverage it or short it, do something with it, right? Where you're basically not relinquishing your position, but you can capture additional value there. And so out of this, what, what we realized was uh, the, the persona is actually a lot more focused now on specifically ETH traders, right? Like um, instead of just, being a a passive kind of give us your eth we'll we'll manage it with with strategies that are responsible what we realized was that people were actually looking for sets that rebalanced a lot more violently um they want to be able to capture different types of like volatility and so that's what we're kind of marketing towards right now um and we've gotten a lot of requests for customizability so the, the the sets that we launched with were relatively conservative in terms of how often they rebalance and what the price tolerance or what the price bands were but we're just looking for i mean we've get, we've been getting requests from people who want it to basically capture a much smaller band and much more frequently very cool so what are what are some of the the things that you guys have in the works if you're if you if they're not a secret can you kind of give us the uh, the down low on what we can expect from set protocol in the short-term future um one so yeah let me let me think about it i don't think we're quite ready to take the wraps off of it yet um, i know i said that at the presentation as well but um you can imagine there's other technical indicators that people base strategies off of and so it's it's really a a process of figuring out how to create a, a reliable and trustworthy uh, oracle for that um, indicator on chain. Yep. And then, and then from there, it's a simple process of creating another rebalancing set token that, that reacts based on that oracle. So say, for example, uh, you wanted to make a set protocol token that interacted uh, with the 200-day moving average for, mm -hmm. I don't know how, how you would do that, but Mm -hmm. that would require some sort of Oracle uh, if, off the top of your mind. Like how would you get the 200 day moving average data into a set protocol token? I mean, a, a moving average is just, it, it, you, you can derive that from the current price Oracle, right? So it would just be looking at having an, another Oracle um, that if you, if you trust the current price Oracle that it's being used right now, mm -hmm. um, which I assume users do. We're using the the, the same oracles as as MakerDAO. Hey, on, on the on the storyline of oracles, I guess would love to get your your take on what is the current state of oracles in DeFi and Ethereum. Yeah, um, so much value is locked up and moves based on, I think, the MakerDAO oracle. Um, I mean, they alone have what. 400 something million dollars locked up um there are a couple initiatives going out where they want to open up that process and basically make each team that reads from the oracles a a stakeholder and i think that makes it a little bit more transparent than the way it is now but it's it's surprising that that they've gotten this far um with a with the oracle that's effectively like a black box right and the, the thing i keep going back to is i think a lot of projects in 2017 and 2018 at least were built 
thinking about governance first instead of capturing value. And what we're seeing now is that nobody really cares until something goes wrong. Um, that could not be more true than, you know, for a, a lot like a lot of the projects on on DeFi. Um, I will say it's 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 as decentralized as can be for a solution that allows teams to iterate quickly. And I think that part is the juggle that we make as DeFi projects is you know, how quickly do we want to be able to iterate to prove that we can capture value. And there's actually very simple ways to, I think, make those oracles more decentralized in the future. Do you have any thoughts about how you might improve the oracle experience on Ethereum? Yeah, I think the one thing that we've thought about is like, I mean, if you, you can have an Oracle that can be publicly, um, well, I mean, all Oracles, of course, are, are publicly read, but it's like, who is responsible for, who is responsible for effectively poking it to update the price? And one of the things that we ultimately decided as a team was that you're kind of just shifting the responsibility onto like somebody else. And so you're not effectively improving the decentralization of the Oracle. I think some teams have gone with the route of adding a incentive mechanism um, to Oracles. I think there's one where if you poke it to update the price, then you'll receive like a tiny bit of ether that is that was on the contract, but you're just pushing the responsibility onto the person or onto the team that needs to reload the ether. And so I think for now, we're designed to just do away with it. Um, the way, the way that, that, that we kind of get around it, since we rely on price oracles as well, is um, every time we have to go to rebalance, we include something called a proposal period where we allow users to see what that next allocation is based on what the price oracle read. And so... Um, if they didn't feel comfortable with that, then they'd, then they'd be able to close their position before the rebalance actually happened. Ah, a rage quit. I'm sorry? That's the Moloch DAO for terminology. The, uh, the, the strategy for just like killing any sort of like uh, game theory conundrum that might happen by allowing someone to just bail from the system. Yeah, people have actually, you know, frowned upon that. They've actually asked why the, the rebalances take longer um, than expected. And so they weren't curious about any of this governance. Um, and I, I suspect that they won't be until, you know, unless something goes wrong. So here's something that I think is really important. And maybe folks in the DeFi community don't agree, but... I think there are significant trade-offs to decentralization that a lot of your target market, like you just said, do not care about. They just want they want their contract to go fast, right? They don't want it to be completely trustless. They don't even care, right? So that's why I'm kind of like confused like where is there even room for decentralization this kind of infrastructure or are you going to just get outcompeted by BitMEX and Binance who, you know, will eventually, you know, build these products and that are instant. I think, yeah, again, I think that that's going to go back to uh, as soon as there's more scenarios that come up where, where Binance perhaps misplaces funds or continues to get hacked, people are going to start to see the, the importance of, of decentralization. Um, I don't think 
uh, again, like I, I don't think that it is immediately obvious to a lot of people right now. And I think as they use more of it, um, they'll realize that, uh, or at least at least when when uh, en- entities like Binance and Bitmex um, get hacked, I think that's when they kind of. I think most people start off with, okay, I just want to open a position on Binance. And then when something goes wrong, that's when they start, they kind of start going down that rabbit hole um, and they start seeing what else is, is, is out there. Uh, and I think even, even, even just having the ability to be able to retrieve your funds at any time um, is something that a lot of these centralized entities can't offer, right? And they don't see that now because everything is running smoothly but as soon as something goes wrong, everyone's rushing for the door and they're only allowing you, you know, one Bitcoin withdrawal. Okay, I feel that. And I mean, it's it's not until people screw up with Mt. Gox that they're like, crap, I need to get a hardware wallet, right? So um, that very well may be the case. And, you know, like I said, maybe they appreciate the trade-offs more um, at that time. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that haven't actually used DeFi. I would love to kind of get... Um, your walkthrough of like what the user experience of DeFi of set protocol um, is right now. And, you know, what does it look like for someone to buy a set? Do they put that on their ledger? Like, how does that all work? Yeah. So today you interact with a wallet. Um, most, most of the time people connect through MetaMask. Um, but uh, going back to how UX is improving in the space, we integrated another project called Fortmatic which hosts your Ethereum wallet and basically allows you to transact uh, in ways that you would, just like if you were on Coinbase, where they'll send you a, a SMS pin to verify um, each time you want to make a, a, a transaction. And so how, that, how the experience differs is um, versus you know, a, a Binance is every time you go to interact with a contract or a protocol, you have to sign that transaction. And so the things that we're working on right now is how to bridge that gap of letting you know that this is what you're about to sign. And if, if this doesn't go through, we don't have your permission to, to try again. Um, and, and, and as a result of that, you're able to pull out your funds whenever you want um, and send them around between wallets, things like that. So your, your typical flow um, would be if you access one of these dApps with, with MetaMask, um, that would just be another Ethereum wallet. And you would have to first transfer Ethereum from a fiat on-ramp like Coinbase into your MetaMask. But then from there, you're able to interact with all of our protocols, contracts directly. Um, and so at that point, it's a kind of up to the dApp to show you what exactly the transaction is that you're about to sign. Um, and in effect, just adding that one step guarantees you that you're always holding on to your funds. Alex, all right. Thank you for coming on to POV Crypto and uh, giving us the down low and all the uh, the intricate details that are inside of a, a set token. Cool. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, and you are, you are welcome back here anytime. If people want to find out more about you or set protocol or just stay informed with, the, with progress, where should they go? In this space, there's something more blowing up than Twitter. So uh, follow us at, at Set Protocol for the most recent announcements. And you? Um, I don't really use Twitter, so. Uh, 
You're not on Twitter? <laughs> I am, but, you know, <laughs> not I, I'm, I'm behind the computer all the time, just coding. So I don't really find time to tweet, but I really should. Yeah. No, stay off, stay off uh, Twitter until you finish, <laughs> finish up set, and then you guys, then you can come back on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think going back to the original theme of all this, I, I, I'd be excited to come back next year and talk about that, how that web has kind of grown Absolutely. to incorporate multiple protocols. I think that'd be something really exciting if we could revisit this in a year or even just six months. I think, yeah. I think what we're going to see is that that growth kind of accelerates, right? Like it took people kind of a while, like it took the first projects a while to figure out how to integrate with Kyber. And of course they're figuring out their rails for how to provide that kind of dev support. But mm -hmm. now that everything's up and running, um, a lot of the projects have great, great documentation. Um, I think it's just so much easier to get off the ground. Yeah, absolutely. This is very much, uh, you know, end to the power of two equation. So the, the more ends that we have, the, the bigger that number grows. Alex, who do you want to hear from? Who do I want to hear from? Um, Apart from investors with deep pockets. <laughs> hey, that can be your answer. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I think, I think, I think for a while we were kind of wondering when. This is such a generic answer, but we were wondering when Vitalik would kind of shift his eyes towards DeFi. I think that was a lot more of a recent thing, right? I think he's kind of seeing now more that that's going to be the, the first use case to tran transfer value and, and store value. And so I think he's kind of pushing on that. I think I like to get more on him about some of the other protocols and how they can be better used together. And I think also what, what the foundation has in store to help our protocols grow, right? Things that we talk about are if we need if we want larger players to get in, they want infrastructure at a point where they can obfuscate um, their positions and and have high transaction throughput instead of waiting for blocks to be mined. So I think a combination of those two um, would be would be interesting. Absolutely, that's a great answer. So you 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 guys heard the man uh, EF and Vitalik. Please reach out to, to Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right, y'all. This is a great episode. Thank you again, Alex, for coming on the show. You know what to do. Five-star reviews on iTunes, in Google Play, all that good stuff. You can find the show on Twitter at POV CryptoPod. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. David? You can find me at TrustlessState, both on Twitter and on Medium. All right. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. Sniff the glue, hold your breath in
you'll receive like a tiny bit of ether that is that was on the contract, but you're just pushing the responsibility onto the person or onto the team that needs to reload the ether. And so I think for now we're designed to just do away with it. Um, but the way the way that 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 we kind of get around it, since we rely on price oracles as well, is um, every time we have to go to rebalance, we include something called a proposal period where we allow users to see what that next allocation is based on what the price oracle read. And so um, if they didn't feel comfortable with that, then they'd, then they'd be able to close their position before the rebalance actually happened. <laughs> I'm sorry? That's the Moloch DAO for terminology. Got it. But yeah, going back to what I said earlier, yeah, people have actually, you know, frowned upon that. They've actually asked why the, the rebalances take longer. Um, than expected. And so they weren't curious about any of this governance. Um, and I, I suspect that they won't be until, you know, unless something goes wrong. So here's something that I think is really important and maybe folks in the DeFi community don't agree, but I think there are significant trade-offs to decentralization that a lot of your target market like you just said, do not care about. They just want, they want their contract to go fast, right? They don't want it to be completely trustless. They don't even care, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm kind of like confused. Like where, is there even room for decentralization, this kind of infrastructure, or are you going to just get outcompeted by BitMEX and Binance who, you know, will eventually, you know, build these products and that are instant? I think, yeah, again, I think that that's going to go back to uh, as soon as there's more scenarios that come up where where Binance perhaps misplaces funds or continues to get hacked, people are going to start to see the, the, the importance of, of decentralization. Um, I don't think, uh, again, like, Alex, I, I don't think that who do you want to hear from really obvious to a lot of people right now. And I think as they use more of it, um, they'll realize that. Uh, or at least, at least when when hey, that can be uh, your answer. And entities like Binance and Bitmex um, get hacked. I think that's when they kind of. I think most people start off with, okay, I just want to open a position on Binance, and then when something goes wrong, that's when they start. They kind of start going down that rabbit hole, um, and they start seeing what else is 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 out there. Uh, and I think even 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 just having the ability to be able to retrieve your funds at any time um, is something that a lot of these centralized entities can't offer, right? And they don't see that now because everything is running smoothly, but as soon as something goes wrong, everyone's rushing for the door and they're only allowing you, you know, one Bitcoin withdrawal. Okay, I feel that. And I mean, it's it's not until people screw up with Mt. Gox that they're like, crap, I need to get a hardware wallet, right? So right. Um, that very well may be the case. And, you know, like I said, maybe they appreciate the trade-offs more um, at that time. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that haven't actually used DeFi. 
I would love to kind of get um, your walkthrough of like what the user experience of DeFi of set protocol um, is right, right y'all. And you know, what does it look like for someone to buy a set? Do they yeah. Put all right, y'all. This is a great like, episode. Thank you work? again, Alex, for coming on the show. Yeah, so you know what to do. You Five star reviews on iTunes, um, in Google Play, most, all that good stuff. You can find the show on Twitter at POV Crypto Pod. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. We integrated another project called Fortmatic which hosts your Ethereum wallet and basically allows you to transact uh, in ways that you would, just like if you were on Coinbase, where they'll send you a, a SMS pin to verify um, each time you want to make a, a, a transaction. And so how, that, how the experience differs is um, versus you know, a, a Binance is every time you go to interact with a contract or a protocol, you have to sign that transaction. And so the things that we're working on right now is how to bridge that gap of letting you know that this is what you're about to sign. And if, if this doesn't go through, we don't have your permission to, to try again. Um, and, and, and as a result of that, you're able to pull out your funds whenever you want um, and send them around between wallets, things like that. So your, your typical flow um, would be if you access one of these dApps with, with MetaMask, um, that would just be another Ethereum wallet. And you would have to first transfer Ethereum from a fiat on-ramp like Coinbase into your MetaMask. But then from there, you're able to interact with all of our protocols contracts directly. Um, and so at that point, it's a kind of up to the dApp to show you what exactly the transaction is that you're about to sign. Um, and in effect, just adding that one step guarantees you that you're always holding on to your funds. Cool. Thank you for having me, guys. In this space, there's something more blowing up than Twitter. So uh, follow us at, at Set Protocol for the most recent announcements. Um, I don't really use Twitter, so. Uh, <laughs> I am, but you know, I'm 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 behind the computer all the time, just coding. So I don't really find time to tweet, but I really should. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I think going back to the original theme of all this, I, I I'd be excited to come back next year and talk about that how that web has kind of grown to incorporate multiple protocols. I think that'd be something really exciting if we could revisit this in a year or even just six months. I think, I think what we're gonna see is that that growth kind of accelerates, right? Like it took people kind of a while, like it took the first projects a while to figure out how to integrate with Kyber. And of course they're figuring out their rails for how to provide that kind of dev support. But now that everything's up and running, um, a lot of the projects have great, great documentation um, I think it's just so much easier to 
get off the ground. Mm-hmm. Yep. Alex, who yeah. do you want to hear from? Who do I want to hear from? Um. <laughs> hey, that can be your answer. Yeah, you know, uh, I think, I think, I think for a while we were kind of wondering when. This is such a generic answer, but we were wondering when Vitalik would kind of shift his eyes towards DeFi. I think that was a lot more of a recent thing, right? I think he's kind of seeing now more that that's going to be the the first use case to transfer value and and store value. And so I think he's kind of pushing on that. I think I like to get more on him about some of the other protocols and how they can be better used together. And I think also what, what the foundation has in store to help our protocols grow, right? Things that we talk about are if we need, if we want larger players to get in, they want infrastructure at a point where they can obfuscate um, their positions and, and have high transaction throughput instead of waiting for blocks to be mined. So I think a combination of those two um, would, be, would be interesting. <laughs> all right y'all yeah all right y'all this is a great episode thank you again alex for coming on the show you know what to do five star reviews on itunes in google play all that good stuff you can find the show on twitter at pov crypto pod you can find me at ck underscore snarks David? Thank you. A lot. Cool. Cool. <laughs> wow, thanks for having me. Um, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I actually, yeah, a lot, I think some people spend a lot of time thinking about you know, how a lot of the protocols can be used together. I think outside of DeFi, I don't actually spend, I, I, Christian, I was, I was kind of telling you how I haven't really looked into a lot of what's being built on Lightning Network right now. So. I mean, dude, your head's down working. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's honestly, it's like a, uh, it's like a flow of life when you're in that mode where you're just like, I'm only doing this thing. Yeah. So, for us, uh, it's like a, I'm on, that a little bit. Yeah, for us, it's on like a need to learn basis. Like Kyber, what actually isn't wasn't the first protocol <clears> that we integrated um, because Zero X, I think, had superior documentation.